Bonjour, I'm Terrence Galenti, your American friend in Paris, coming to you almost live and almost every week from Café Terrence in Paris's Troisième Arrondissement. This program is being sponsored by a generous contribution from the Billy Cohn Collection. Our guest this morning is uh, Mark Rappaport, uh, another Brooklyn guy. Uh, who's become made a, a career out of making many documentaries of people uh, uh, like uh, today's uh, guests, uh, Marcel Dalio and uh, Conrad Veidt, who won't be here in person or be impersonated, but we're going to talk about their life and career. And Mark, as, a, as another Brooklyn guy of approximately the same age, I'm going to guess that your fascination for movies began with the Million Dollar Movie, uh, The Late Show, and programs of that like is that a, a good guess i i did see i did see the movies on million dollar movie like <laughs> night after night after night after night mm -hmm. so uh and i have a very vivid memory of many of them and uh i mean the dreck as well as the good ones and uh but even the dreck in those days has some value today to me yeah, well, it's nostalgia value. <laughs> I, I don't think that there's much value in uh, Miracle of the Bells, for example, which I remember seeing about a million times. Um, yeah, also, there were uh, three movie theaters in my neighborhood, and uh, one of them let kids in. Uh, uh, if you were over seven, you could get in without a parent. Well, which theater was and that? It was very... It was called, affectionately called the dump, mm. but it was uh, the Lakeland. It was right under the, uh, the uh, Brighton Beach, right right under the Brighton Beach L tracks. Yeah, and uh, it has subsequently been a uh, linoleum store and uh, and five thousand uh, Russian restaurants because every every uh, every piece of real estate on that street is uh, Russian restaurants now. Well, you were Brighton Beach then. Brighton Beach, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, that, that was my movie education, going to the Lakeland or the dump and uh, seeing movies that were not even uh, for second or third run theaters. Uh, the movies made by these... Uh, uh, really low-budget companies that just did not get major releases in big cities. Worse than Creature from the Black Lagoon? Or is that, that would be like an A-list film under those circumstances? That, that's an A-list film compared to these movies, yeah. This is like PRC and uh, Monogram and movies one never heard of, or if one heard of them, one uh, suppresses the memory of them, so... Yeah. Are there, are there so, you know, I, I remember watching uh, Al Jolson go into his dance about 14 times in a week on, on Million Dollar Movie. For those who are not from New York, uh, that the movie ran uh, twice uh, Monday through Friday, I believe 7.30 and again at 10 or 10.30 in case the housewife was ironing a shirt and missed a scene and then played almost continuously on the weekend. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Are there, you know, one or two or three films from that, that era that really jumped out and made such an impression that you became passionate about movies? No, I, I became passionate about movies. I remember very specifically when it happened. Uh, I was 13 and I saw Rashomon mm. and it just, 
it knocked my socks off. I said, oh, my God, is this what movies can be? And uh, everything else paled beside that for me. Back up for a second. How did, as a 13-year-old, did you encounter Rashomon? Um, I think he was playing at the Academy of Music for uh, a special screening, uh, Brooklyn yeah, Academy Brooklyn, of yeah, Music, the- which is which is still there. Uh, I went to school down the street else. at Brooklyn Tech, so I, I know the area. Oh, really? Well. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so that was uh, very exciting. It's very, it was like the scales fell from my eyes. Wow. Now, I, I, it doesn't seem that major a movie to me, but uh, for a variety of reasons. But uh, uh, then it was really something extraordinarily special. Did that lead you to other Kurosawas or that? No, it lured me to the Thalia. And also, I remember as a kid, um, there was a theater around the corner from me, the Tuxedo, which on Monday and Tuesday played foreign movies. And I don't remember, I, I'm, my mother must have taken me. I remember seeing uh, Cry the Beloved Country, The Fallen Idol, uh, Manon by Clouseau. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, and other movies that I shouldn't have seen at that age. Well, that's a, quite an education. Oh, yeah, well, that was uh, yeah. Zoltan uh, Zoltan Korda who made Cry the Beloved Country. Zoltan Korda, yeah, yeah. exactly. And the uh, yeah. which was mentioned for again for <clears throat> listeners who are not in New York. <clears throat> pardon me. The failure was on the Upper West. Well, it's on the Upper West Side now, but uh, showed foreign foreign films. And I would guess the Tuxedo must have been the aster of your neighborhood because that was adjacent. No, 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 no. During the week, they showed regular movies. I guess business was so bad on Monday and Tuesday, they figured, well, what have we got to lose? I have no idea. Because the aster was adjacent to Erasmus Hall, which housed 8,000 students in two sessions. Yeah. Back in those post-war days. I remember the aster, too. Boy, this is going down memory lane. Well, we we have years of, you know, uh, you've become an ardent cinephile. We've chatted off off camera, if you will, uh, about the the length of all that. Uh, yeah, I was uh, a professional editor in the 60s, and, uh, and then I started doing, not in the 60s, in the 70s, and uh, then I started making my own movies, and uh, I was uh, semi-famous in the mid-70s. Were you editing uh, major, uh, major theatrical releases? No, 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 no. Industrial no, no. films? Industrials, uh uh, documentaries, uh, nothing you would have heard of, uh, nothing I'm especially fond of. Uh, yeah, there, there was one film, uh, uh, the guy I was working for made a film about uh, Paul Taylor and his dance company. And it was an excellent film shot by Al Mazels. Oh, yeah, the, the Mazel brothers, uh, yeah. Y- yeah, and, uh, and uh, I edited it, which means that I control the whole thing sure. because uh, the director really had no input on it. And uh, uh, that film is gone now. It's just uh, lost, you know, fell through the... Uh, the oh, it's uh, out there somewhere. I mean, maybe... maybe that... No, no, no. The, the negative is, uh, has uh, disappeared, so it's gone. But that, Unfortunately, because it was, it was quite a good movie, but... Well, those guys did, did terrific work. The Maisel Brothers? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think uh, David had died by then. I don't think he was the... He, 
He wasn't the sound man, but uh, Al shot it, yeah. So just that, yeah, Al. So you were contacted, I believe you said, by, by Criterion to write liner notes for a... Uh, no, not liner notes. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, I had, uh, I had a couple of uh, contacts with Criterion when they... Uh, in the 90s, I made a movie called From the Journals of Gene Seberg. And uh, when they put out their blue, not their blue, when they put out the DVD of uh, Breathless, mm -hmm. they wanted a, um, a supplement about Gene Seberg, and they contacted me to write it. I didn't direct it or edit it, but uh, I was the writer on it. And uh, I had told them then that, oh, and uh, they also bought another film I made, uh, Rock Hudson's Home Movies as a supplement for um, the Blu-ray of All That Heaven Allows. I, I was very proud of that uh, then. That was in 2014. Because I think uh, All That Heaven Allows is a great movie. Douglas Sirk. Uh, yeah, Douglas Sirk. And uh, so I did have a con and they also contacted me to write about Douglas Sirk for their uh, website. And I told them that when they put out Senzo by Visconti, I wanted to write the liner notes for the uh, for the for the DVD and the Blu-ray. And I did. And uh, it was supposed to be a 2000 word deadline. And I wrote 3000 words and they published the whole thing. And uh, they were very good liner notes. I think uh, the, the thing I, I can quote you is uh, Decor is Destiny, which is, uh, I think, what I would describe uh, Visconti movies as being, um, or Visconti as being, uh, uh, it would apply to Visconti. Yeah, you think of yeah, El Gato Pardo and... Uh... Death yeah. in Venice, uh, they're in there, it's it's not quite like watching paint drying, but there's a, some connection to that. They're just so languorous and 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 so beautiful, and just they seem to go on forever. But uh, I don't think Leopard is languorous at all. I think it's uh, it keeps you at the edge of your. Well, maybe seat certainly all the time. Death in Venice for me would be that. Uh, Death in Venice is yeah. yeah it's not maybe one it's of my just favorites. it's just the, the beauty of I mean the beauty of Alain Delon and Claudia Cardinale and. Uh, just the, the whole sense of history is... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a great historian and uh, a great set director, set decorator, and a great uh, filmmaker. Yeah, and then the culture, you know, the culture is just predominant. Uh, let's go back to, well, let's begin a little bit with Vanity Mirrors, uh, which I believe is about 10 or, I just watched it, 10 or 12 minutes. Um, Talk about that and, and and describe what a vanity mirror is because uh, you and I grew up knowing it as something else. Uh, yeah, okay. It's uh, This is part of the thing with uh, Criterion. Mm -hmm. um, when, when they took up uh, Rock Hudson's Home Movies, I uh, proposed to them writing an article for their website about the vanity tables Douglas Sirk's movies and they said yeah yeah that's a great idea we love that idea how about doing it as a video and I said oh great sure and I had no idea what they were talking about and uh, I uh, had to buy a Mac because uh, you can't edit a video on uh, on a PC 
and uh, I'm a real techno-phobe, techno-dork, uh, techno-jerk, whatever you want to call I, it. I belong uh, to that, I, that, that clan as well. I, I just hate this new technology, although uh, I although I, I, I thrive on it. I mean, it makes the work that I do possible. And uh, so I bought a Mac, and I lay on my couch for three weeks without opening it. And then, fortunately, uh, through a friend of mine, uh, someone, a, a roommate of his, was uh, uh, a video editor. And uh, this guy helped me do, uh, from the vanity, uh, the vanity Tables, Douglas Sirk. Uh, basically, he was my hands. I told him, okay, here, you cut here, and you do that there, and you, and you put this shot in there. And... Um, and uh, I submitted it to Criterion, and everybody there loved it. They loved it, they loved it, they loved it. Uh, everybody, everybody in the house loved it, except the guy who was uh, the head of it hadn't seen it. And uh, he apparently did not love it. He wanted to make some changes. And they asked me if I wanted to make changes on it, and I said, uh, absolutely not. I'm not, you know, like, I'm not your gun for hire. I, I did this for very little money, and uh, I'm not changing it because I know what I'm doing, and everything that you uh, are complaining about is resolved in the film itself. So uh, so that ended that with Criterion. And, uh, but they did produce I, I it. Should... They released it as you cut it. No, no, they did not they release did not. it. They did not. They, I never heard from them again. Uh, and nine months later, I said, okay, uh, the little bit of money that you gave me was, I think it was $750, which was in euros, which was worth 600 euros at the time because the, uh, the uh, dollar against the euro was very, very weak. And uh, I said, okay, you know, this is basically a kill fee and I'm going to do whatever I want to do with the movie. And uh, I, I never heard from them again, which was fine. I mean, it could have been uh, a very ugly lawsuit or something. Anyway, it is available uh, for your viewers and listeners on uh, Cinematheque Francaise uh, uh, site called Henri, which is... Uh, Henri Langlois. A free... A free a, no, no, it's just called Henri, uh, capital H-E-N-R-I. Uh, which is a free uh, streaming service that they uh, put up as a result of COVID-19 when the place was closed down. So you go to cinematechefrancaise.fr so, uh, and then uh, click, I click on Henri or type yeah. in Henri. Right. Well, my guess and is it's Henri, named for Henri Langlois. Yeah, it is, but it's not Henri Langlois. It's called just, just plain old Henri. Um, no, I, you know, I just so, watched, uh, the, watched the movie in preparation for a conversation, and I, and I can remember my mother, or many of us, our mothers, those post-war 1950s mothers trying to access Hollywood beauties uh, in front of what we call dressing tables, We're brushing their hair, applying their makeup, uh, becoming gorgeous, as we would say. Hmm. Well, anyway, the, uh, so I made this uh, short, and then I discovered that this is what I wanted to do uh, with my life. I finally, I finally found out what I was good for and what I wanted to do. And uh, so that was in uh, 2000, and 
14. And uh, I've subsequently made 21 uh, shorts uh, from 10 minutes to an hour. And uh, yeah, so I, I made the, the movies that you wanted to discuss. Sure. Uh, and when we, uh, I'll make, you know, at the end of the of our conversation, I'll grab that information and post it uh, in the newsletter that will accompany the uh, broadcast uh, of our our conversation, so that the listeners and readers uh, can begin to access it. Um, I, I, I picked two. I'm oh, sorry. Sure. No, there, well, <clears throat> I guess the movie Casablanca, which we, I don't know how many times we saw as a child, uh, but you picked out two refugees who had principal roles in in that film who are also quite important in their respective countries. Uh, Marcel Dalio, uh, Moshe Israel Blauschild from the Rue de Rosier in Paris and uh, Hans Walter Conrad Veit, uh, Major Strasse, which is a, an unfortunately a sad imitation of the great actor that he was. Why don't we start a little bit with Dalio uh, who appeared in, in two of what are considered to be the finest films ever made, La Grande Illusion, Le Rêve de Jeu des uh, Renoir, but who had made hundreds of, it seems, films prior to that. Talk a little bit about Marcel Dalio, the croupier, Emile, in Casablanca. Uh, Marcel Dalio, as far as I'm concerned, is like one of the great actors in films. Uh, he was short, dark, curly hair, uh, kind of swarthy complexion. And in the 30s, um, in practically all the movies that he was in, he was uh, an informer, a thief, a pimp, um, basically he was considered the Jew, uh, even though it wasn't mentioned in those terms, although there is one film in which he plays a usurer. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, because of his looks, he was cast always as this uh, uh, villain. But uh, he was quite charming and a uh, very delightful character. And uh, he was in two great uh, Renoir movies, as you said, uh, Grand Illusion and uh, Rules of the Game. Rules of the Game, it's like one of, it's for, for me, it's one of the most extraordinary performances uh, ever captured on film. Uh, he's just great. The scene where he uh, presents his restored um, musical toy uh, is just, uh, it just gives you the chills. He's so great in it. So talk a little um, about the film for those who may, may not have seen it, because I consider it, to be, as you, to be an extraordinary film and an extraordinary performance. Uh, okay, Grand Illusion, he's a, a prisoner of war along with Jean Gabin and other prisoners. And he comes from a rich Jewish family. Uh, unfortunately for me, in every scene that he appears, they talk about his Jewishness, which I think is a, uh, well, I can't oh, say it's a big mistake. Overkill? Yeah, it's, uh, it's like enough already. You know, we, we know he's Jewish, uh, can we move on? Uh, but they don't move on. And uh, uh, it, to, to me, that's a, like a drawback to the film. Uh, in Rules of the Game, he's, uh, he's uh, uh, kind of, he's nobility, but like lower class nobility, not, not 
not he's not a king and he's not a queen and he's not a jack and he's not a knave and he's not a prince uh he's uh and it's never mentioned that he's jewish but uh at one point um uh his cook explains to a bunch of people in in the kitchen down below uh who are complaining about uh marcel dalio the cook says, well, you know, he may be a metek, which is it's a word that's not uh, that not really translatable into English. But metek is uh, it's it means the other. It's it refers literally to Mediterranean people mm -hmm. or uh, this is this is a dictionary definition. Wops. So it means them. The uh, the. the no, them. I, uh, I, I think it's clear. It's them. It's the others. Yeah, yeah. The other. Uh, so he refers to him as uh, the them. And uh, it's the only mention that he's Jewish in the, in the whole movie. And uh, uh, a friend of mine in America said that in English it's translated as Yid. Mm. But Metek is not Yid. Uh, it's, it's more uh, encompassing. It's more encompassing. It's It's... It's the Schwarzers, <laughs> to put it another yeah. way. No, but I, I think the important uh, thing to remember about these two films in, in the context of Jews is these were shot in, in the late 30s. I believe the Grand Illusion may have been released in 37, and, and Regla de Jeu did not get distribution once the Nazis occupied and in, in America until about 1946. So the, the atmosphere yeah. in which these films were created, uh, you could feel that cloud beginning to hover over the city mm, of Paris. Yes. And just a one yes. parenthetical thought where he does at the very end of Grand Illusion, which I, I thought was an interesting touch, when uh, Gabin and, and Rosenthal now have escaped from the prison camp and somewhat become dependent upon each other and a friendship is forged that in, under normal circumstances would not have occurred, um, Gabin kind of jokingly refers to him as a sale juif, a, a dirty yeah. Jew, which is like yeah. the way we, we talked about WAPs and guineas and goombas and mix and, and, and yeah. Brooklyn and they called us heaves and you know whatever, uh, that the, the comfort level between them had become so great that they could ethnically slur each other uh, in, in jest, in, in fun, in, in bonhomie, if you will. Well, uh, actually, uh, at the end of Grand Illusion, uh, Gabin gets very mad at... Uh, at uh, Dalio and calls him a salupin, which is a dirty yid. Mm -hmm. uh, and it just kind of springs out of him, uh, you know, like, which is, I think, is part of a French tradition that is so old, uh, anti-Semitism, that uh, it, it really can't be contained. Mm -hmm. it, uh, it does spring out, it, it does spring out at the the moment you're not watching. Um, anyway, uh, so comes the war. Uh, he escaped with his wife uh, to America, and he immediately started working in Hollywood films. Uh, he's he's the croupier in Casablanca, and he plays Frenchie in uh, Howard Hawks' To Have and Have Not with Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. And uh, he shines in, in uh, his American films, and he's no longer the Jew or the Yid. Uh, he is now Frenchy, the Frenchman. 
So uh, it's a complete change of identity, and nobody really gives a shit about his, him being Jewish in Hollywood because everybody in Hollywood is Jewish, more or less, uh, at least behind the camera. And uh, uh, it's a new career for him. And uh, he goes back to France after the war and again plays uh, pimps and uh, informers and... Uh, uh, cheats and rascals of every kind and uh, whenever he's like invited to be in American films again he's this bubbly irrepressible Frenchman so it's, it's a very peculiar career because there are two strands in it that are very very marked and very visible and um, it's a uh, in a sense, it's an amazing, unique career. And a, a long and, career. Uh, he, he did a lot of a work. A very long career. A lot of work. Right. He, he lived till he was 85. He was born in 1900 and died uh, uh, almost three quarters of a, more than three quarters of a century later. So basically, his career spans the 20th century. And uh, he has a great, great part in uh, Mike Nichols' Catch-22, um, it's like a, a three-minute monologue, uninterrupted, uh, without cutaways to the person who's listening, who is, I believe, Art Garfunkel, but I'm not sure. And uh, just a great, great actor. And uh, obviously, Mike Nichols respected that in him. And um, and the name of that, that film for our listeners again? Catch-22. No, your film. Oh, I Dalio or the rules of the game. Okay, which uh, which I we will uh, identify the ways of uh, seeing those films. Now let's jump a little bit to to Major Strasse. Uh, first time I saw uh, caviar being eaten, and uh, this iconic figure, uh, who was this extraordinary actor uh, before uh, and unfortunately his career waned in Hollywood. He died very young. Let's go back to the beginning. German expressionist silent film. Uh, Caligari and uh, educate people on what an extraordinary talent he was. Uh, yeah, Conrad Veidt uh, was a fairly well known was a very well known theater actor, and he was there at the very beginning of uh, silent movies. He was in a lot of silent movies, the most famous of which is uh, the cabinet the cabinet of Dr. Caligari in which he plays Cesare, uh, the somnambulist, who is the right arm of Dr. Caligari. When Dr. Caligari wants somebody murdered, he awakens the somnambulist and gives him orders to kill, and which is, which is Caligari's alibi. Um, uh, he is just extraordinary and frightening in the movie. And uh, he had quite a career in silent movies. Uh, he was also in um, um, Different from the Others by uh, Richard Oswald. Uh, it was the first movie to, to mention homosexuality. Uh, he plays a homosexual uh, violinist who's in love with one of his students and uh, is destroyed by another homosexual who's blackmailing him. Uh, he was in uh, silent movies until the very, very end of silent movies. 
and he was also in this very great American silent movie, uh, The Man Who Laughs, by Paul Lenny, a German filmmaker who emigrated to America. This is 1928, uh, among the last of his silent movies, uh, in which he wears a prosthetic device in his mouth. He's playing someone who, as a child, uh, to get revenge on his father, uh, pirates cut his lips from ear to ear. So he has a perpet what, what looks like a perpetual smile. So he wore this prosthetic, prosthetic device that uh, stretched his lips and uh, reveals his teeth at all times. So it always looks as if he's laughing, even when he's uh, very, uh, very miserable and hor horribly miserable. Uh, excuse me, it's... Uh, okay, uh, that'll get picked up on the other end. Uh, and, and, and oh, this is... Oh, geez. Okay, right. this is... Uh, we can cut that, okay. don't worry about it. Okay, no, no, f uh, fine. Uh, and uh, it's, it's an incredible movie, and also, uh, just to give away uh, the punchline in my movie... Um, it was the inspiration for Bat for the Joker in Batman, uh, the the uh, man who laughed. Uh, so comes the war. No, comes Hitler, 1933. Uh, Conrad Veidt has married for the third time. This time it's a Jewish woman. Uh, he gets a warning from Goebbels: uh, divorce the woman, or your career will be severely uh, curtailed. Uh, and basically he says, uh, fuck you to that, and flees to uh, to Britain, where he has a, a really great career in in first in among the few first films that he makes in Britain uh, are The Wandering Jew. I can't remember who made it now, which is a very good film. And uh, also um, Jew Seuss, which is based on a novel by... Leon, uh, Leon Feuchtwanger. Leon yeah. This is like, I've had a senior moment here. Um, so, uh, and he's just great. And, and the films are quite good, although both are forgotten today. And um, uh, Jew Seuss now is remembered because it was made into a Nazi propaganda film. Uh, which is very, very hateful film about how the Jews uh, have all the money in the world and uh, wreak havoc with their power. Um, and it was wildly successful in Germany and the occupied uh, territories. Um, anyway, uh, once the Brits, uh, once the um, Nazis start invading London with the Blitzkrieg, uh, he and his wife flee to America. And, well, let me uh, stop you for again, a second. Life... Before he did that, he did some work with Michael Powell, including, uh, to me, the marvelous Spy in Black. Spy in Black, yes, yes. Uh, very good, uh, very good movie. Um, there was another Michael Powell movie. that oh, Thief of Baghdad. Thief of Baghdad. I think 49th Parallel, which was... A... No, he's not a in Contraband, that. Contraband. Contraband. He plays the Danish yeah. sea captain. Mm -hmm. 
not not as good as the spine. No, the spine black. black is magnificent, and he he's he yeah. is so magnificent. He is, he is. Uh, he moves to Hollywood, where of course he's going to be playing Nazis, and uh, his most famous part is in Casablanca, which everybody is in. Every every refugee from uh, from World War Two is in uh, Casablanca. But for me, the greatest movie that he made is uh, A Woman's Face by George Cukor mm. in 1941, which is uh, basically a uh, Joan Crawford vehicle. And uh, he's the man who falls in love with her and uh, whom she falls in love with, who is uh, a very manipulative, um, uh, charming man who... Um, is due to come into a fortune if only his nephew were killed. And uh, he hires John, Joan Crawford to, uh, to do the dirty work, to be his governess and kill him. And she won't do it in the, in the final analysis. And uh, he dies, of course. But it's a great, great performance, full of shading and uh, uh, nuance and... Uh, you know he's a rat, and yet before he becomes a killer, uh, you find him the most charming man in the world. What well, is a, a film that I think you and I disagree on a little bit, but still great, worth watching, called Nazi Agent, which I believe was Jules Dassin's first film, where he plays twin brothers, one who was a, a Nazi working for the German government in pre-war uh, New York and a, and, and a bookseller. But the uh, the yeah. elegance, the man puts on a tuxedo. Uh, he's 38 feet tall. That's a beautiful face. The the elegance, the way in which he lights a cigarette. I mean, it's just a, and I don't know if this is intrinsic to, to Europeans. You know, Dalio in his very uh, flip and, uh, and loose kind of way uh, exudes a certain kind of that as well. Uh, there's something almost in character, in, 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 to, in, in you know, inherent in their performances that, that gives off that elegance and raffishness. I, having lived in Europe for a little while, I, I don't think it's a European thing. Uh, I think it's a personal thing. Okay. Um, <clears throat> uh, if you come to my neighborhood, I don't think you will find that elegance uh, uh, anywhere around. Uh, even imagine putting people in tuxedos and evening gowns. Well, maybe you we can we not... can paraphrase Lubitsch, who said, you know, uh, I like Paris. I've been to Paris, but personally, I prefer Paramount's Paris. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I get that when I look out my back window. It's uh, it's a Lubitsch movie, including the uh, ceramic uh, chimneys and the um, and the the rooftops and the garrets. I live in a garret myself. Uh, it's Chambre de Bonne, the maid's room. Uh, I live uh, in the maid's room, what used to be the maid's sure. room. Uh, what, they, what they have that people don't uh, often talk about is these high ceilings with, uh, that are slanted every which way. There's not a right angle in my apartment. So uh, that's, that's the upside of the maid's room. And, and the film, uh, again, but, is Conrad Veidt, uh, My Life. Uh, now, is that available to uh, U.S. Uh, viewers? Not right now. It should be on Canopy and Fandor and uh, available through my distributor 
Kino Lover sometime soon. Well, I'll keep I'll keep but, everyone uh, posted on that, and and that's Canopy with a K, K A N O P Y, uh, which is right. a source. If you belong to a library in America, and if you don't, shame on you, or 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 a, or a or university. A university. Uh, it's available to you for free. Michael, this has been it, it, great to get together. Uh, we have so much more to talk about. We'll have to do this again in the future and talk about some of your other work. Uh, what's in, in the cards for you at the moment? What are you working on? Uh, I'm just finishing up a video called Love in the Time of Corona. And uh, I'm doing a video about uh, two German refugees to Hollywood uh, who were uh, in German movies. And uh, one was Jewish and gay and fled uh, because he was very outspoken against Hitler. And then Hitler came to power and he uh, fled to Hollywood and was able to get work there. His name is Martin Kosler. Oh, I know Martin Kosler, and, sure. and wound up playing Goebbels five times in the movies. And he enjoyed playing Nazis because he felt it was kind of a revenge against the people who had destroyed his life. Well, he also ran Rondo Hatton. I forget the name of the film. Uh, House of Horrors. There you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Martin Koslick, yeah. One of those faces yeah. that we all know, not everyone knew his name. Right. And uh, and the other one is uh, Hans Heinrich von Twardowski, who is also a German, uh, who is also in German movies, uh, fled to Hollywood. He was gay, and I did a little research and it turns out that the two of them were lovers for 30 years. So that was an interesting little bit of uh, Google information. Well, I, for I look me. forward to that. And once we're almost uh, not near the end, we're, we're near the end of the beginning of the end of, of the virus here in Paris. And I'd love to put together an evening where we could show clips of your films and, uh, and talk about the, uh, uh, the work and the characters and, and the backstory uh, in, in greater detail over uh, some wine, sure. some cheese, some chocolaterie, uh, something of that we, we love here in Paris. Uh, once again, Mark Rappaport, My Life, Conrad Veidt, and Marcel Dalio, two of, of the 21 films he's currently made. Mark, uh, merci beaucoup, and uh, à bientôt. Thank you, and à bientôt. Thank you for joining us, and please share your comments and suggestions at terrence at paris-expat.com. That's T-E-R-R-A-N-C-E at paris-expat.com. And visit paris-expat.com to sign up for my five weekly newsletters about the City of Light. Until next time, à bientôt à Paris.